Today is Sunday, January 8th, and this is Title Town. Today's the final week of the NFL season. Um, it's finally here after 17 weeks, but Steve and I did decide to sneak in an episode um, a little after the Pats game. Unfortunately, they won't be headed to the playoffs, but luckily the Bruins and the Celtics have been um, playing really well as of late. Um, it's been a while since we've last spoken. Uh, there's been a lot that's gone on, you know, not just with the Celtics, but around the league in general. Uh, if you look at the standings and, you know, the Nets, they've been soaring. They're right behind Boston in the standings. And on the flip side, uh, the Bucks they kind of hit a rough patch. And, you know, even the Celtics themselves uh, haven't been playing great. Um, Steve and I, we discussed their recent play, which uh, has left uh, much to be desired. Um, and on top of that, we kind of look ahead to what I think is going to be a big week uh, for Boston as they got games against Chicago, New Orleans, Brooklyn. Um, some big time games um, against, you know, really good Western Conference team, as well as, um, you know, a team that I mentioned is right behind them and another team that's beat them twice this year already. Um, you know, we, we talked about that. We talked a little bit about, you know, the rest the landscape of the rest of the league and kind of where those teams um, stand as of this moment. Um, so we've got that and um, more coming up next on Town. Another episode of Title Town. I'm Matt. Steve is here with me. Uh, Celtics, uh, they've been a tough team to kind of get a feel for lately. Uh, they came in over two straight over Dallas and San Antonio last night. Um, and we'll get into those games in a little bit. Um, but before we get started, Steve, it's been a little bit since we last touched base, at least on here. Um, Happy New Year to you. And of course, as always, you know, just want to see how you've been doing. So how uh, how have things been with you? Oh, pretty good. Happy New Year to you, too. Um, well, I, you know, I'm thrilled with the Bruins, who are now 31-4-4. Never saw that coming. Sorry to see the Patriots uh uh, you know, head off into the head off into the sunset, but at least they didn't finish in fourth place in that division and they finished ahead of the Jets. Thank God for small mercies on that. <laughs> and uh, you know I'm I'm uh, you know I'm yo-yoing back and forth with the Celtics and still quite optimistic, but I got some I got some uh, got some issues there, as I know you do too. Yeah, is uh did the Patriots with the loss today they're done they're completely done or is there another no. crazy scenario where they could get in? No, no, no. and they 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 went I think from the you know they had the last playoff spot when the day began and. Um, uh, if, if Miami has it, but if Miami had lost, then Pittsburgh would have had it. So the uh, of those three teams that it mattered in the AFC today, uh, the Patriots finished uh, third of three. Mm. Bronze medal. Right. <laughs> and uh, where do you stand on the Red Sox? 
you any confidence there? Oh, well, I'm really, really happy with uh, with the Devers deal. I mean, that's that compensates you know a little bit for uh, for losing for losing Bogarts, but um, you know, there's still uh, they, they they have a lot of they have a lot of holes. I don't see them as being competitive next year unless stuff happens in the next couple of months. But and what is it now? About 34 days until pitchers and catchers report, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So that's all. We're happy day when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Always is. So as I mentioned, um, we last it was December 12th. I think was the last episode, and. Celtics came out or it was just after the Golden State Warriors game where for being honest, the, they kind of no show. They got punked by the Warriors. Um, mm-hmm. And speaking of Golden State, they, um, you know, we, we made so much early on about the slow start they got off to and just kind of the turmoil that was surrounding them. And without Steph Curry, they slowly climbed out of the playoff or the play in spot. And I believe they're the sixth seed out in the West. So yep. Boston has them coming up shortly. Um, so that'll be interesting. I'm sure the fan base will uh, will be waiting for Draymond Green and those guys to get back to the Garden. But the Celtics followed up that game with what at the time seemed like probably their worst performance of the year. It was a 113 to 93 loss against the Clippers, and it just was it was never close. Um, Kawhi and Paul George really had their way with Boston, made things tough on them, and from there it was. You know, two games, three games where the Celtics were kind of didn't look like themselves. Um, you fast forward, they barely hold on against the Lakers after having at one point, what, a 19 or 20 point lead, maybe even larger. Um, the Lakers actually go up 13 at one point and Tatum, he has 44 points, hits that tough shot over LeBron at the end of regulation to tie it up. And the Celtics would go on to win 122 to 118. Um, and then really what kind of raised my antenna a little bit on the on this team was that seven-game homestand they had where first three games you had two against the Orlando Magic, who, may I remind you, came in with just one win on the road. And then you had one game against the Indiana Pacers, who came in a couple games under 500 and – it was the Aaron D. Smith revenge game. But those two games against Orlando, Robert Williams made his return. We'll talk more about Rob uh, later in the episode. But it was back-to-back losses for the Celtics. Um, we really saw them. They weren't great defensively. They weren't great offensively. And Jason Tatum did miss the second game. But those were the two games where you kind of saw the Celtics struggle with the height that Orlando had, they were a bigger team. And I think that definitely had an impact on Boston. What were your thoughts just going back to those two losses? Did anything stick out to you? Um, I mean, there were obviously other games after that that you can look at and you can be more positive from. But I think those two games would kind of be a microcosm of what we've seen the Celtics be lately. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely, it's that. And you know, I think back to it the to, to the beginning of the beginning of the season. We we're looking at the schedule, and, and we both agreed that that December could be the time with some of the good teams that they were playing. That could be the time to make a statement. 
And, uh, you know, I was very optimistic, well, particularly after the first two months of the season, you know, really optimistic that December was going to be, it was just going to separate them, uh, you know, by a considerable margin from the, from the rest of the East. And, you know, that didn't happen. And I, you know, the first Orlando game, I just thought, well, you know, that's the way it goes. And then the second one, uh, you know, you don't go losing two in a row to uh, at home, right, to the Magic. And uh, that, that sort of started off um, this meh phase that they've been in where you're not quite sure what team is going to show up and where their, you know, where their heart is. And, and you know, particularly getting, getting Rob Williams back, that should have really solidified things. And it should have been, uh, you know, a cherry on top of the December the December cake, um, but you know, it, well, I mean, he's been he's been terrific. You know, yeah. I don't think any of this is is on him. I'm not saying that, but uh, you know, to get to get a Rob Williams back and then go into this this uh, kind of inexplicable period of you don't know what team is going to show up. Yeah, my my biggest gripe, and I think. You know, we talked about the three-point shooting early on from guys like Derek White, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brock, and Sam Hauser. I mean, I'm sure you can go all the way down the roster of guys who played and guys who made big impacts to start the year. And in the month of December, it just wasn't there. And even we saw in the Denver game, we and we surely saw it in the game against the Thunder. If And I think this is one of my biggest issues with this team is – Last season, what made them great and what made them special was how good of a defensive team they were. Mm-hmm. And it got them all the way to the finals. And, you know, obviously their season got off to a much different start and they had to play catch up for the entire year. And guys were playing, you know, more minutes in games so that they could position themselves for seeding. They had two really tough series. And by the time they got to the finals, it was they had nothing left in the tank for the offensive end. And the personnel this season obviously is much better. You have a whole year of Derek White. You added Malcolm Brogdon. Um, Jalen and Jason are another year older. They know what it takes. They know, you know, they learned a lot from that series. So you would think the personnel and the offense alone would be fine. And I think, you know, whenever they, they lose a game, it's fire Joe Missoula or it's trade this guy or get rid of this guy or bench this guy and whatnot. And it's all crazy. I don't think, you know, I think – the fire Joe Missoula crowd. I think that's just, I think it's, it's a lazy, I don't know. Some, it's a lazy excuse to make for these guys. These guys have been in big playoff games before. These guys have played together. They're seasoned vets. They know what to do. Like we knew coming into the season that this wasn't going to be easy with Joe Missoula as a first time head coach taking over and that these guys needed to step up and they needed to carry some of some of the load on their own but in this instance i will put a little bit of the blame on joe Missoula and say you're getting away from this team's identity the celtics were the best offense in league history first month month and a half of the season they were scoring 122 points a game they had guys shooting 50 60 percent from three and it was never sustainable no matter how much you know you me or the next person wanted it to be it just wasn't sustainable now we knew they were going to regress. I don't think we saw them going from being the best offense of all time to now being one of the worst teams in, in the league. 
Uh, I think there's only been a select few teams lately that have been better on offense than the Celtics have been. And it's like Charlotte has been worse and maybe the Rockets. So not good company to be in. And I will say this. I don't think it's fair to ask a group of guys or realistic to ask this group to defend and go all out like they did last season in the playoffs, because then I do think that's how guys will end up being exhausted or fatigued you know, towards the end of the season. But this whole live by the three, die by the three strategy, I don't think in recent memory we've seen it work out with a team. I mean, I know the Rockets tried it with Dan Tony and, and James Harden, and that didn't work. And then if you go back to the Milwaukee Bucks when they were playing in the bubble, that didn't work out either. So there hasn't really been many examples of this working. I know they've kind of waned from it a little bit, um, but yeah, the three pointers, I mean, if this is going to be the route that they go, um, it's going to be tough to kind of gauge really anything on this team going from game to game or series to series when the playoffs start up. Well, there's a piece I think it was in the Boston Globe yesterday or the day before, and I think I have it right that at the moment there is there, there are no teams in the league that are averaging less than 100 points a game. And there's no defense that is holding that that, that has their that, that is um, on the average holding other teams to under 100 points. So scoring is way up, and I'm not paying enough attention to it with other um, with other teams. And and that was a that was a caution to me last night that I maybe should because I wasn't aware. I've been aware of a lot of big scores, um, but I didn't know that the league average was was up significantly on offense. And the league average was was down as far as holding other teams to uh, under 100 points, which was for a number of years. It was, you know, it was kind of a standard. You know, it seemed like there was a lot of years there where the average game was, you know, 97 to, to 91 or 93 to 86, right. somewhere like that. And now we're now we're back up in the stratosphere again. And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to rethink my position on the three pointer, wondering if everybody is, you know, going, go, going all out with that. And it's not just the Celtics. I mean, bothered me a couple nights ago when when uh, uh, which one of the Jays was it? Can't remember. But, you know, penetrated, got to the top of the key. And uh, the defender was about five feet away from him instead of taking what was an easy two pointer, passed over to Grant Williams in the corner who missed the three pointer. So I think, hey, you know, that's not a not a good trade, but no. that's what they're doing. And and as far as, you know, uh, get rid of get rid of Joe, I mean, with all due respects to anybody listening now who's in that who's in that group, I just. Uh, you know, I, I, I would caution to. To just wait it out a little bit long, a little bit longer, and uh, you know there was also that talk last year about about Ime, you know, get, get about this time of year, you know, get rid of him. Well, actually, back in December, but you know, is this is this the guy that we need? No, he isn't. But you know that worked out fine. So ultimately, you know, the players have to perform, and I don't see them doing that consistently. Right, and you know, I think it would worry me a little bit if this group does at this stage of where they're all at in their careers, if this group still needed like an email type figure, who's, you know, going to call them out publicly when they're not playing well, or who's 
gonna hold them in check. Like if they can't do those things on their own at this stage of their career with what they have at stake this year and just everything they've been through, I think that says a lot about the character, maybe the lack thereof of the group that they have assembled. Um, and we did see that this was a group under Brad Stevens that they seem like they need someone to kind of get on their ass a little bit and call them out or be tough on them. And cause for years we, we talked about, or for years, all we heard was Brad Stevens after losses. It was, Oh, I didn't do a good enough job coaching or I need to do a better job doing this. And it was never on the players. It was really last season, the first time where after a loss, it was Ime coming out saying, well, our best players, our two best players didn't bring the right energy or, you know, yep. stuff like that. And, you know, I don't know if Joe has built up enough adequate yet to, to do something like that. I think we've seen him, you know, I, he did call out the role players and basically tell them that they needed to be better to which I think some of them have responded, but no, I mean, you, you, you said the same thing that I, I think I was thinking is that at this time last year, you know, everyone wanted to get rid of Ime and it, it quickly turned around. I mean, these, but at this point, I don't think looking and pointing the blame at Joe when the majority of the honus is going to be on the players. Um, and, you know, with that, I think that'll lead us right into the game against the Pacers where they just simply didn't show up in the first half. And they were down by as many as 30, 32 points to, you know, Indiana has some nice pieces. I know Tyrese Halliburton is probably going to be an all-star for the first time. Our old friend Aaron Neesmith um, had a good game, and he's been playing really well over there. You know, Buddy Heald, they have, you know, they're they're a nice team. They're a really young team. Um, and that was just an instance in the first half of a team that showed up and just – played harder than the Celtics and that should never happen if you're especially coming off two losses to the Orlando Magic right um, and then you know they have the second half effort or more so Jason Tatum has the second half effort where he tries to will them back to victory and at the end of the day it just you know there's no moral victories that can be taken for a team with you know these aspirations so I just felt you know it's on the players and to anyone who wants to blame Joe, like you were saying, you know, you gotta be careful what you wish for. Yeah. And also, uh, I, I, I think I wrote this to you a couple of days that after, I, I guess it was after the, uh, the Oklahoma city game and Jalen made some, made some comments, came out publicly and said some stuff, but it was almost, you know, well, yeah, you know, we got some problem here. Da, da, da. It, it was very, it was very trite and, and very glib almost. I think I, I, I wrote you and said that what I would have really liked there is a, is a, is a closed door players only meeting. And, um, uh, you know, hear from Marcus Smart, hear from, hear from Al, hear from some of the ones that, uh, you know, have a lot of credibility and, you know, for the team to look at itself in the mirror, not just make glib comments about, well, we have to be better. We have to show up, you know, right from, right from the opening tap. And, uh, uh, and, and so I would rather, uh, you know, I'm more inclined to look at a inconsistent attitude from the players rather than anything that, that Joe is doing that is 
that is tanking the team. And they aren't tanking. I mean, they still are the, you know, the best team out there. And I mean, you know, a small, small consolation here is that although the OKC game was lousy and although the Indiana game was uh, was very disappointing, well, geez, you know, at least they didn't lose to Charlotte by um, 29 points at home. I'm talking about Milwaukee now and giving mm-hmm. 51 points in the first quarter. Now you're at home and you're playing Charlotte. And, and where's the collective Bucks head at? If they give up 51 points to Charlotte in the first quarter, that's so, you know, I mean, that, that makes me feel like a whole person again, almost. Right. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned Milwaukee because, you know, I've written some stuff down before, you know, we started this and, you know, that was one of the bigger games in the season was the Christmas day matchup. And, you know, mm-hmm. the Bucks they didn't have Chris Middleton. So apparently that game doesn't count if you know, <laughs> games without Middleton, but, um, I think if the Celtics had lost that game, even with or without Middleton playing, then I think things could have really taken a downward turn just because of the narratives that would have been out there about, you know, that would have been lost. Yeah. I mean, they won, they beat the Timberwolves, so that would have been losses in, what, four out of the last five. And at the time, it looked like Milwaukee and Boston were just on another level from the rest of the pack. And – they put up 139 points on what was the second best defense at the time. Mm-hmm. They really kept Giannis in check. Yeah. And, you know, we talked in the offseason and really going into the season about how the Bucks are, that was the team that was going to be in Boston's way. And if the Celtics were going to get back to the finals, it was them and it was Milwaukee. And again, with Middleton out, I understand the impact that he, he can make and granted, you know, for what it's worth, he hasn't looked great in the games that he has been back in this year. And I think their record without him or with him in the starting lineup um, hasn't been great either. What does that mean at this point? I mean, uh, who the hell knows? I don't know. Um, but you know, the lack of role players that Milwaukee has compared to Boston, I thought was – something that was alarming to me and something where I thought Boston had a really distinct advantage. You know, you look at the first three guys off the bench for Milwaukee and, you know, Bobby Portis has had a really good year off the bench, and but Boston has guys that match up well with him, but it was Bobby Portis. I think it was, I don't believe it was Grayson Allen because Grayson Allen was a starter, but I, it was Bobby Portis and the other guy, Joe Ingles and mm-hmm. Wesley Matthews, who, I think is on the north of 35, so an older player. Yeah. And the Celtics' first three guys off the bench were Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams, and Grant Williams, all guys that are either either in their prime or getting ready to, you know, jump into their their physical prime. And I just thought the Celtics have so many answers for Giannis to slow him down, not stop him, but slow him down. And there's just a lack of answers that the Milwaukee Bucks roster currently has for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And either mm-hmm. one of those guys are capable of beating you on any single night. I mean, this night it was, you know, Tatum at 41, he had 20 in the third quarter and really kind of created some separation. But then Jalen Brown, I think he scored what 13 of the 29 points he had in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And the previous game, he had 23 in the fourth quarter. So, it almost seemed like, you know, Jalen gets off to these really hot starts in the first quarter. Tatum will take over. And then now it just seems like, you know, lately 
that Brown's turned into a bit of a closer. But I yeah. thought that was uh, it was a hell of a win for the Celtics. Um, I thought it was a statement game, especially on national television, just with the way that they were able to sort of neutralize Giannis and with the way that Tatum and Brown and, you know, just everyone as a whole, they were able to show out and pick up. I mean, it was, it was a huge win for them. Yes. Now I think coming off the uh, Oklahoma city game, the, the game against Dallas was, um, you know, they, they managed for, for whatever reason, Luca was kind of a, a, a non-factor there. Couldn't do a whole lot. Right. And uh I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know what he was going with. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Go. Go ahead. No, that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, they. They. I guess it's a good thing they they show up when when they have to, but, um, and you could argue that every game they have to, but now they just have to. They have to figure out how to how to take on these lesser teams and. You know, not not come in, you know, strutting, figuring that they're going to be a blowout because they're, you know, they're getting burned on those Indiana to Orlando's uh, and uh, and uh, Oklahoma City, and then they have they have a couple. You know, I'm I'm scared daylights about uh, the 14th and the 16th when they go up against the powerful Charlotte Hornets that you know just decimated. So they better they better go into Charlotte for those two games with their with their heads on straight and. Um, but in the meantime, they get Brooklyn, and you know Brooklyn's there. Uh, I don't think either of us picked them. Probably out of spite, we didn't pick them out of, in our top ten. But they're they're cooking along, and that that's going to be a uh, that's that's the day before my birthday. So I'd like them to give me a birthday present, and you know, cleaning, 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 cleaning house with the Nets. I'll say this about in defense of us for Brooklyn. I mean, nobody knew what they were going to be and first like what three four weeks of the season i mean we look pretty good for not putting them in the top 10 but i will say this when we were recording the episodes about the durant stuff in the off season we both did mention that we wouldn't be shocked if a year from when we had recorded that episode if we were talking about them coming off going to the finals or even winning it that we wouldn't be shocked and you know, am I shocked that they're playing as well as they are? I mean, yeah, I don't think, you know, it's it's a good – they're a good team. The, the roster is really well put together. Um, but, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen with Ben Simmons or, um, you know, obviously with Jock Vaughn taking over. He's done a hell of a job, and I think he deserves a lot of credit um, for mostly just getting the focus to be on – on basketball and not anything else. Um, but, you know, that that should be a, a hell of a matchup. It's, you know, a national televised game. And for whatever reason, lately, it just seems like Boston has had Brooklyn's number. I know dating back to last season, it's eight in a row. They had a game earlier this year where they did in Brooklyn, where they did beat Brooklyn. And, you know, you can make the argument that there was no Ben Simmons and, Utah Watanabe, I believe his name is, the leading three-point shooter in, in the mm-hmm. NBA right now. He didn't play. And on the other hand, the Celtics didn't have Rob. I don't believe they had – the Celtics didn't have – they didn't have Rob and they didn't have Marcus Smart playing in those games. So, you know, if you want to if you want to use injuries, then that's fine. Um, it's just funny for – it seems like for a little bit, you know, over a year now we've been hearing from Nets fans about how they, they haven't had Ben Simmons playing against us. 
especially with all that that went on in the playoffs last year. Yeah. Um, and then obviously after the game on on Christmas, they wrapped up the uh, the homestand with, I mean, a blowout victory over the Rockets. That you know we don't really need to get into. The Rockets are what they are at this point, and then. Yeah. Um, they had a nice win over the Clippers and it really seemed like that whole time they were kind of in cruise control. Kawhi and Paul George, they were okay. They weren't as good as they were the first time those two teams played, but nonetheless, um, that was an entertaining game. I thought it was another solid win for them against a team that we were both really high on going into the season. And now I don't really know what to make of them because they've kind of cratered off a little bit. Uh, especially the other night in Denver uh, where they just got, I mean, the doors blown off them. Yep. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that either. It's uh, just, just for the proof that the prediction is a, uh, you know, a dangerous business. Yeah. And I like Denver a lot over in the West. Um, and that was, you know, the new year that that was the first game that Boston kicked off the new year with. And, just a weird game. You had that crazy 40 minute delay in the middle of it where <laughs> the basket was all, or the rim was off center. Cause yeah. Rob threw down a dunk and there's, I don't know. It was just weird there. The defense in this one wasn't great. The nugget shot. I mean, probably North of 45% from three. And, you know, you could make the argument that some were, some were contested pretty well, but there were a lot of them where they were just wide open looks and, you know, Jokic is great. He makes an impact on, you know, just about every play on offense in the game. Um, and it was another instance where anyone not named Jalen Brown just didn't shoot well from three in that one. So it was another instance of them not getting into, you know, not getting into any sort of rhythm without, you know, shooting or finding, you know, the stroke from three. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I think this game, though, does prove that if they did focus, shift focus back to the defensive end of the floor and they took less of a honus or focus on the offensive end, I mean, they scored 113 points. They shot 29% from three. And if you just defend it even a little bit, you know, you're talking about a a win against a really quality opponent. So like, that's just kind of where I'm coming from when I want to see this team get back to playing defense at a high level. Yeah, I do too. And I, I think that's going to happen. You know, I'm, 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 I'm holding on to my optimism. Uh, you know, that's pretty easy to do. And, uh, you know, I think at some point very soon, it's just going to it's just going to turn around. They will be able to look themselves in the mirror, figure out what they're doing wrong. I hope they're talking amongst themselves and that the intensity, they, they dial up the intensity. And I think probably the easiest way to do that is is uh, on defense where they were they absolutely, you know, glowed with crystalline clarity last year. And, you know, if they can if they can uh, then get that back and other teams are going to no, they're they're going to be played very very hard. I think I think that's all it's going to take. Yeah. So, you know, we're are, are we at the halfway point yet in terms of games? I don't. I'm not, not yet. Sure. Uh, the okay. 28. So I think we're just under it. All right. Oh. 
I usually, you know, I know the All-Star break is or the All-Star game is obviously past the halfway point, but I think everyone kind of uses that as their uh, kind of their barometer of where a team's at or kind of what direction a team will go. And, you know, don't get me wrong, like this, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, these are two guys that are going to be All-Stars. They have the potential to both be All-NBA, make All-NBA teams. Um, so, you know, they have two of the top, you know, 15, 20 scorers in the league on their team. But I just think when you look at the roster as a whole, like the third, probably the third best offensive player they have is Malcolm Brogdon, who's coming off the bench for them. And so it's not a team that has just all this firepower on offense. It's a lot of guys who you don't really know what you're getting from a night to night basis. Yep. Um, that's right. And and that's why, you know, like, when I've talked about like the one thing that does travel and the one thing that can be consistent is how you are defensively. And what does just about every guy on this team that play have in common? They're all really good defenders. They're all able to guard, you know, one through four, one through five. And I think when the playoffs turn up, and I even think when the magnitude of these regular season games are high, and I think when they play these big time games against these bigger opponents, I do think they tend to lock it in more on on the defensive end of the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm also looking forward to these next two games. And you know, not not wanting to jump too fast to head into the Brooklyn game, but uh, they've got they're coming home, and they play Chicago, and then they play uh, play the Pelicans, and um, you know so they have three tough games in a row. But I'm I'll be very uh, very interested to see how they how they uh, take the these next two games against uh, against quality teams. You know, definitely New Orleans this year. I think the Bulls are um, the Bulls are a little bit underperforming, but um, you know the Celtics still have to take them seriously. And you know what's weird about the Bulls is they've beaten like all the top the four top teams in the Eastern Conference. Yep. But for whatever reason, they can't seem to. It's like the middling teams are those teams that are at the bottom of the, you know, the bottom of the pack. They just they can't seem to get it, um, get it together. And I know, you know, I don't know how true or viable the reports are, but there have been rumblings about, you know, guys in that locker room being upset with Zach Levine or him not exactly, you know, gelling with um, with their coach. So there's been, you know, a little bit of turmoil there. They haven't for whatever reason, they haven't been able to get Lonzo Ball back mm-hmm. on the court. And I don't think, you know, I haven't seen any updates, but I I don't foresee him being back any uh, anytime soon. So, you know, as you mentioned, and then obviously, so Chicago is going to be tough. That'll be tomorrow night. And I just saw Marcus Smart. He's doubtful for, for that one. So that would be, that would be a tough loss. But um, the big game that I think, on that, you know, on those, the next three is definitely that Pelicans game um, because you don't want, you don't want them to overlook the Pelicans because they're looking forward to the, to the Brooklyn game. Um, and they will be going to Brooklyn on, you know, the second night of a back-to-back. So you make the decision. Do you want Horford for that game? Um, it's a battle with, you know, with Ben, with Claxton and those guys, or do you want to, play him in the Pelicans game and 
have him miss the Brooklyn game or, you know, I don't know how they'll juggle that, but it's, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw that it was going to be a back-to-back was, you know, you may not have Horford for that, for that Brooklyn game. Yep. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's one of the dirty little parts of, uh, of the schedule for January. Those are, uh, those are two. Yeah. I mean, just, just as you said, back to back and, and travel. I mean, it's not like, you know, not traveling from Boston to, to LA or just going down the coast a little bit. Right. Um, you know, they could take Amtrak there and, you know, probably that'd be less stressful than, 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 than flying, but yeah, that's going to be uh they're, they're going to have to put in a huge effort against, against uh, the Pelicans and then hope that they can repeat that. Uh, the following night against a team that's rested. I don't think the Nets are playing on Wednesday night. Which that could be a good thing. It's, I mean, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to, you know, you know, you look at the Celtics record when they have, you know, two or more days of rest and it's, I mean, it's brutal. Um, And then when they have less rest, I mean, their record's been great. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe this will play play well for them. But you know, player personnel wise, you I just want to see a fully healthy Nets team and then a fully healthy Celtic team go at it, so I can kind of gauge where the two teams stand. And you know, there's only so much you can take away from you know one game in in January. But I do think having both teams healthy is you know something that you want to see, and I think it's something the NBA wants to wants to see because they're. I mean, shit, they're the two best teams in the league right now. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would rather, you know, getting back to what you said a few minutes ago, I, I would rather have uh, Horford available against the Nets in a conference game that, I mean, a win is a win, a loss is a loss, but still you want to win in your conference and have them ready for Thursday night against the Nets and uh, um, hope that a somewhat rested rest of the team can can do the job on Wednesday night against against the Pelicans. Right. Because, you know, again, and, and the Pelicans are a good team and you'll take every win you can get. But like, you know, you're not really learning much if, you know, you go and you lose to to the Nets without Al and then but you beat the Pelicans with him. So I think you'd want to pick up as much, you know, intel or whatever on a team mm-hmm. that you're probably going to have to see at some point in the playoffs. Yes. Um. So we kind of danced around it and, you know, for obvious reasons, and I've been trying to. You know, I wanted to avoid it, but, you know, we'll go back to that OKC game. Um, they gave up 150 points, no Shea Gilgis Alexander for the Thunder. And, you know, let's just call it like it is. The Thunder have some nice young players. They're not a good team. They're one of the worst teams in the league. At the end of the day, they will probably be picking in the lottery again um, fairly early. And from the start, it – just clearly was a lack of urgency, a lack of energy. And this was another game where we talked about the Indiana game. Those guys were just running up and down the floor and playing hard. And that's all this was. And Boston just, they just didn't play. They didn't, they didn't make any adjustments. Um, They had 42 points hung on them in the second quarter before the half. You thought they'd come back out with energy, with some urgency in the third quarter. Nope. 46 points hung on them in the third quarter, and that was game, set, match right there. They allowed five guys to score 20-plus points. And I think there were a lot of firsts for the Thunder organization after this game. I think it's the first time they scored 150 points 
Yeah. Uh, and I'll just remind everyone at one point they did have Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Serge Ibaka <laughs> on, their, on their teams. And that never happened. Um, I'll defer to you. And, you know, the, the quotes after the game are just so bad. And some of the excuses that people were making where it's, oh, well, you know, the Thunder shot like 60% from the field. And that's like the go-to excuse that every fan and every player is going to use now is, well, this team shot really well. I mean, it was it was a freaking layup drill out there for, for the Thunder. At one point at the end of the third quarter, I think it was Isaiah Joe grabs a rebound off a, free, off a missed free throw, dribbles the length of the floor, and, and dunks it. And nobody steps up to – to foul him, to get in front of him, no hard fouls, nothing, and there was no fight. Um, what were what were your thoughts on just this piss poor effort of of a game and just a debacle? Well, I, I left after the first. I stopped watching after the first maybe minute and a half, two minutes of the third quarter. I too was hoping that I, I think there were seven straight. Um, seven straight thunder points and at that point i you know lost all hope that they were going to come out for the second half with some urgency because they you know they seem to be i mean you know it's just not the way to get it done to allow to allow the other team to run up another seven after whatever it was in the second quarter 43 46 points or something and then so i so i was really glad that i left um you know that was one of the wisest decisions i made in the past week to bail on that game. And I would have been, you know, if I were an Oklahoma city fan, I would have, I would have kind of been thrilled on the one hand to have seen this blowout against the Celtics, but I also would have felt cheated out of my, the cost of my ticket, knowing that something wasn't right here. And I did not get to see some top, some top rated top notch players uh, just, just going through the motions and, um, you know, so I was trying to view it from both a Celtics fan um, perspective, which is the easy one to do, and then to put myself into someone who had spent, you know, I don't know, $120 on a, on a, on a seat to see, uh, you know, the Harlem Globetrotters against the Washington Capitals or whatever that team was that they were always up against. And, I mean, that was really pretty much what it was like. Uh, Oklahoma City did what they wanted, and they were they were Patsy, and the Celtics were were uh, were Patsies through most of yeah. it, just letting, letting that penetration happen with no challenge, no heart, no soul, no spirit. So, and I didn't watch, you know, the last, uh, except for two and a half, maybe minutes of the second half. I, I, uh, you know, I, 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 I jumped ship early on that one. Yeah. It was, it was really the first time and the only time recently that I've also turned a game off early. I, I got to like midway of the fourth quarter and, Ooh, had congratulations. Had yeah, it was probably <laughs> it was probably, you know, three and a half quarters too long. So but <laughs> you know, I mentioned some of just some of the quotes after the game, and I just found this one on Twitter, and this one really stuck out to me. This was Jalen Brown on the loss against the Thunder. Um, quote, we probably had it coming to us. We pick and choose when we want to play. They embarrassed us. You can't be a, a team that has championship aspirations and talk all summer about how, you know, you, all that matters to you is winning a championship and getting back to that point and avenging your loss last year and talking about 
how much you learned from that experience and then come out and just have zero energy, zero urgency and openly admit that there's games that you just decide that you don't want to play in. And Malcolm Brogdon also had a quote along the lines of when we found out SGA, so meaning Shea Gilders Alexander, when we found out he wasn't playing, we all took a deep breath. And I think he ended the quote with something like, we shouldn't have done it because we all know better. And this is another game where, I mean, you know, if you thought after the Denver game or those Orlando games, if you thought the fire Joe, um, you know, Cole was out, this was one where they were, I mean, they were out in full force and I don't see how Joe Missoula has any correlation with this team just not trying or this team not caring or wanting to show up and play. In fact, I think the only mistake he made on that night was letting the second half begin with the starting unit because I would have put in, I would have started the second half with guys that wanted to play. Pritchard, get him out there, you know, um, when he was on the court or when he was on the team, Noah Vonley, Blake Griffin. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna get killed anyway, you know you're gonna get killed. But I mean, at least throw guys out there that want to play that are gonna play with energy. And like people bring up Marcus Smart, how he got thrown out. Like, man, I, I don't give a shit about that. Like, Marcus Smart got thrown out not because he was pissed off or trying to like light a spark on the team. He got thrown out because he was pissed off. He didn't get a call from an official. And it's like, dude, at that point, like you're way beyond like deserving to get tossed over you know, a no call on a shooting foul when you're down 30 points, like you're getting embarrassed and it's an indictment on this team lately because there's been far too many of those quotes for a group that allegedly has, you know, championship aspirations. I mean, that's just, you know, my feel on it. And are they, and are they still a contender? Yeah. But I mean, like shit like that just shouldn't go on and just can't continue to go on. And I think it was a good teaching point because they were embarrassed. Well, you know, yeah, I want I I want to be a teaching point, but but I need to see the I need to see the learning come from it. That reminds me of my teaching days with fifth graders, where you'd have you know you'd have a kid who was a you know constant knucklehead day in and day out mostly, and you'd call him on something and he'd say sorry, Mister B, but then he'd go and do it again. And you do it three times a day and you apologize. And I'd finally say to, you know, any number of kids like that, well, you know, it's the third time today you've apologized to me about it. When are you going to make a change and, you know, stop, stop, stop this. If it really is just a false sense of, you know, asking for forgiveness and looking to mend your ways, then you got to prove it to me and they have to prove it to me too. And, um, you know, I think for the first month and a half of, of, of the season, teams were probably justifiably afraid to play them. Now, you know, an awful lot of teams can look there and think if we if we come out, and they can also look at that game where Charlotte put up those 51 points against Milwaukee and think, you know, is anything, all we have to do, we're, we're a crappy team, we're not going to make the playoffs, but, you know, we can go out and we can we can do a bull rush at this team, throw them off their game. Maybe they really don't care. Maybe they're, uh, and well, probably all these other teams are hearing broad, uh Brown's comments and Brogdon's comments, and they're thinking, well, you know, this this isn't getting the job done. Well, you know, we can take advantage of this. That's kind of what I'm afraid of, because it's these lesser 
lesser teams that are going to, you know, sow seeds of doubt in some of the players. And, uh, you know, I agree with you in the, that, that second half should have started with, um, started with, uh, you know, guys that maybe could bring some intensity right in the moment and the world of professional sports and college sports and high school sports are full of coaches that send a message by benching their best players if they aren't performing and bringing in someone who's, you know, worked their tail off in the past week or so of practice and uh, let, let them, let them, let them have their shot at, uh, at, you know, writing a, a, a listing ship. Mm-hmm. And I think even at that point, you know, on a night where, you know, shots weren't falling and it just seemed like the energy wasn't there. I mean, whether you're getting blown out or not, I thought that would have been a spot for Pritchard. And, he, you know, it, it has become a budding joke. But, like, you know, in all seriousness, I mean, even a guy like Blake, who, who's a vet, who's going to, you know, dive on the floor for loose balls and, you know, those 50, 50 balls or whatever, like he's going to get to them and just guys that are going to play that are going to inject some sort of life into a team that just seemed, you know, just without any. Um, So yeah, that game was, you know, it, it was just seemed like a really bad start to the new year. They went to Dallas, took on Luca national televised game, him and Tatum Um, Tatum racks up a triple double. Luca had some, ankle thing going on and then it looked like he had you know contracted you know COVID and he was gonna have to go into the, the health and safety protocol with how much he was like coughing into his jersey or whatever he had going on um you know it was a good defensive game for them I think they only allowed you know like 93 points or whatnot mm-hmm. um and I, but you know again that's great and I'll I'm not really gonna give them a victory you you handle the team that is basically built around one man having, you know, a crazy run and, you know, you're able to neutralize him. And then of course, last night in San Antonio, they were able to, you know, pull out a close one, uh, one that was certainly exciting over the Spurs. So they're 28 and 12. I feel like some of, you know, the first half of this has been, you know, a little bit negative, but, you know, there are flaws to this team given how good they are and how good they have been. Um, We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll wrap up with, you know, a little bit of positivity, um, you know, that has to do with a certain person on the roster. All right, so we mentioned earlier in the episode how Robert Williams did make his highly anticipated debut against the Orlando Magic, and... They were kind of easing him back in. They said there was really no minutes restriction um, on Rob. And, you know, he's still kind of thrust into that role coming off the bench. And Missoula has said a couple of times, we're not sure if he'll start. I personally think he'll end up back in the starting lineup. I think yeah. he should be back in the starting lineup. Yeah. Um, but Rob's been great since returning. And, you know, he looks like he hasn't really lost much as far as his leaping ability. Um which that was, I think, with a meniscus injury, especially with, you know, a big man like that who relies so much on his athleticism. I think it's it's really a relief that we've seen him back to being, you know, maybe he's not fully back to what he was last year, but he's pretty damn close. And that's huge for where this team expects to be at the end of the year because 
we both have said, you know, multiple times here that we don't think Celtics can win a championship without Robert Williams. And I thoroughly believe that um, he just, he's the, a great rim protector for them. And, you know, the amount of extra possessions that he gains them off of misses, whether it's grabbing an offensive rebound or batting it back out to somebody, um, it's really remarkable. And, you know, he's a hell of a passer on the offensive end. Like, I wish they would play through him more and get him the ball at the top and let guys kind of, you know, cut or, you know, screen for one another and get guys open because he's one of the best passers at the big man position in the game. And, you know, he's not much of a threat on offense outside of, you know, putbacks or, you know, lobs that they throw to him. Um, but there's many other ways that he impacts the game. Um, what what have you liked from, you know, from what you've seen from Rob since he's come back? Well, I was, I was fully in favor of, uh, of easing him back in uh, with, with no real time limit on that because – you know, the team, the coaches, they're the ones that know what the medical report is. We really don't have any insight into that. And as I've said before, my own my own meniscus problems and tears at various times uh, tell me that explosive leaping and coming down hard after an explosive leap, that can be really lethal to a meniscus. So I was, um, you know, initially I was all in favor, and I, I still am. If, if, uh, if there is a perceived limit, to how much he can play and keep healthy, then I'm all in favor of that. But over the past uh, past few games, I I I don't I don't have too many concerns anymore about uh, about his knee bothering him at all. He's not playing like someone who um, can maybe finish a game, make it through a game fine, and then for the next 36 hours feel twinges and niggles and wonks, and you know you got ice around it and you know, deep inside or maybe not even deep inside you, meaning him, um, is going to be worried about, oh, shit, did I do something to it? But the way he's playing um, the last two or three games, I'm not seeing any fear in him, any caution in him. Uh, I think he's, uh, you know, he's a huge force out there. Love watching him play, probably more than anybody else on the team. Um, and so this is, uh, and, you know, if he can avoid – hurting, hurting that knee or God forbid hurting the other one, then um, he will continue to be a bigger, a bigger factor. Yeah. I think the biggest sigh of relief that we had was, and this is even before, you know, you get back to his leaping ability or the fact that he just looks like, you know, Rob from last season is, you know, the, in the playoffs, he would play in a game and then, you know, it was reported that he was managing like swelling or he was managing like pain that he had in his knee for the next game. So practicing or he was out of the game and not to my knowledge, I know they held him out of that OKC game um, just as sort of management. And maybe they looked at that game as one that they could handle given, you know, the, the opponent that they were playing. Um, but you haven't heard any sort of, you know, rumblings about him feeling any pain from, you know, the day after games or anything like that. It's just seems like for his minutes to get back up, it just seems like um, they just need him to, to kind of get back more into shape and, you know, get his legs under him so that he can be out there for, for longer stints. Um, because I think him, you know, they played him, they played him what, like 18 minutes, I think a night. Um, and I know, you know, last year under Ime, they wanted him playing up around 30. 
Um, you know, I'm not sure he's that guy that is going to be able to do that. But I do think, you know, 25, 26 minutes a night, I think it's something that he needs, you know, they need, they need to kind of push him and they need to challenge him. I don't think, you know, him practicing every single day or however often they practice. Like, I don't think that's going to get him back into shape. I do think, you know, you do want to ease him in and I do think that's important, but I also think too, you know, he can't, he, he's sort of someone that needed to be pushed last year and he needed to be challenged. You know, you may always talked about, you know, just because you're, you know, you feel a little pain or you're dealing with something doesn't mean that like, you're not just going to sit out. And I think that's another thing area here where, and I'm not saying if he goes to the training staff and he's, feeling pain in his knee that, you know, you, you know, too bad, like go out and play, especially given what we know now. But I do think with the minutes, you know, at some point you got to kind of, you know, push him and see how far, you know, he'll go. Um, Another guy that I think is sort of being underutilized and he had a great game last night is Malcolm Brogdon. Um, You look at, you you look at the box score and just, so many games this year where he either, you know, doesn't crack 20 minutes or he barely cracks 20 minutes. And, you know, I know he also has, you know, a long injury history, but I just, I feel like he's a guy that at, you know, minimum needs to be at 25 minutes a night, 26 minutes a night. He's a guy that is out there. That's an organizer for you on offense. He's a guy who can, if he plays, you know, an adequate number of minutes like last night can be a 20 point scorer for you. And I just feel like, you know, if it's between him and Derek white, as much as I do like Derek white and think Derek white's been good for them at points this year, I just feel like leaning into Brogdon more is, you know, probably the wiser decision. I mean, this is, this was their big off season, you know, acquisition. This is the guy you went out and went into the tax for. I think, you know, it's on Joe and this is the one part where I will look at Joe, you know, with Rob and with Brogdon, I think you do need to challenge those guys more. I don't think going with Brogdon playing, you know, at the most 22 minutes, I don't think playing him another four or five minutes is going to like, just be, Oh, there's all this wear and tear on him now. Like I don't firmly believe that. I think, you know, the two of those guys should be playing more minutes than they are. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with that. I don't, I don't have any, any fear i mean you know i know his history but it's um but it's not the, it's not the same as a meniscus it is a lot of wear and tear it's something here something there and i think he's got a whole lot more in him than they've gotten out of him so far and to his credit you know he hasn't i'm not aware of him bitching and moaning about that he just uh, he seems to be accepting it and then like last night he comes out and makes uh, makes a real statement and it's a you know it's a testimony to um to the depth of the team when you're sitting there trying to trying to find time for either Derek White or or I mean it's a nice problem to have right yeah, you know right, do I, right. do, uh, how many minutes do I play Derek and how many of those will come off of uh off of uh, off of Malcolm's time and boy when you get to that point it's a you know it's a nice sweet spot to have yeah and, I thought last night was a night that they maybe should have leaned more in on Brogdon than than Derek White because, you know, and Derek did have a good game. He had, I think he finished eight points, 11 assists. But, you know, I think Brogdon last night, he he's different from Derek White in a way that when he's out there, everything just feels more organized. Everything feels more like it's under control and you yeah. can you, you can run stuff. Where I feel like with Derek and it's, you know, it's not because of him, but, you know, 
it seems like it's just all kind of it's frantic and guys are just kind of running around and um yep. and plus you you look at the fact that Brogdon had 23 points last night on 12 shots I believe 12 or 13 shots and I think he hit like seven threes so you know that's an instance where I thought he should have you know Joe should have closed with Brogdon over Derek White um and they were luckily and fortunately able to you know to steal that one even you know, given the personnel that was out on the floor after. Yeah, I liked your I, I like the term you used uh, a few minutes ago. He's an organizer, and and that's uh, you know I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's that that is what he does. And you know, with all due respects to Derek White, you were right too that you know it becomes it becomes faster and more chaotic, and uh, uh, you know things just seem to be closer to spinning out of control when when uh, when 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 Brogdon's there, it's more methodical, more thoughtful. Um, nothing is rushed. And, you know, there's no urgency to only use seven seconds of the 24 seconds on, on the clock, which exactly. is another gripe I've had with the team so far this year. You got 24 seconds. For the love of God, use them, at least some yeah. of them anyhow. Yeah, those those early shot clock threes this year that they've had where it's <laughs> you know, we make we make one pass and we launch or I mean shit maybe they don't even make a pass and they just launch a three it's yeah it gets uh it gets on my nerves real quick and mm-hmm. yeah you know that's over this last stretch you know that we've talked about that's kind of what we've seen a lot when they're at their best you know they have guys a lot of guys moving off the ball screening off the ball opening things up and when they when they haven't been good it's just a lot of you know one pass they have a good shot but they're you know, not working hard to find a great shot. Yeah, yeah. And I, um, you know, I, I, I made jokes at the expense of Charlotte, uh, you know, a couple times already. But that's actually probably of the next four games, or if you want to count the two games in Charlotte against the Hornets, those are the two that I'm most interested in because, you know, they'll be coming off the Pelicans, they'll be coming off the Nets. And regardless of whether they whether they win or lose those games, um, I just want to see them show up against Charlotte. They they should be able to look and see this is what Charlotte can do with a team that doesn't seem to give a shit, which is how the Bucks were a couple nights ago. And you know whether they can finally decide that we can take, you know, yeah, we just played two te- two teams that are going to be in the playoffs and are going to go probably a distance in the playoffs. Now you know we've sucked against a couple of lighter teams, very lighter teams. And so if they can show up against Charlotte for both of those games and play with intensity, then I'll, then I'll, uh, you know, I'll consider that, a, you know, a big step forward. Yeah. And the second half of the season. Right. And, you know, those, they're, they're two back, they're back to backs. I think one's in Boston and one's in Charlotte, I believe. No, both in Charlotte, uh, I think. Oh, they're both in Charlotte. Yeah, I think the, let, let me see. Yeah, that's what I have here on Saturday and Monday, both in Charlotte. Okay, well, there they won't have to. The travel won't be won't be there, so that's nice. No, no. Um, I don't know why I was looking on the I was looking on the ESPN app earlier, and I thought that one was in Boston, one was in Charlotte, but no, that works well, out better. Something suspect too. Uh let me double check. Yeah, but I, like you said, I think. Those, you know, those games I think will be more telling than the uh, – no, both are in Charlotte. You're right. I think 
I think those games will be more telling about this team and if they have taken some sort of steps um, and learned from the Thunder game, the Pacer game, the two Orlando Magic games. Um, like those games shouldn't be close. I mean, all due respect to you know, all due respect to to the Hornets, but those games shouldn't be close. Like you're you're a top team, you have to go out and you have to handle business. And those are games where like if you blow teams out, you get rest for your you know your your stars. Like those aren't games where you want Tatum and Brown playing you know you know in the high 30s for minutes. Like those are games that you want to you want to handle it through two and a half, three quarters and, you know, have them sitting on the end of the bench for the entire fourth quarter. So they have to show up, they have to play with urgency, not take, you know, any of the opponents lightly. Cause you know, like you said, so far we have, you know, a handful of games that show us that this team doesn't show up to, to play against these bad teams. Mm-hmm. And they get we, golden state in another week and a half or so. In Boston, so that'll be that'll be fun to see. I saw Steph was. I think Steph Curry's going to be back for that game, so yeah. he'll be back just in time to torture us all again. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, and, the, and 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 the Kings are holding in there. Kings are holding. Yeah, in. We, you know, have you? How have the Kings been doing? I haven't been paying attention. I I know that they had a. Was it the Jazz they played the other night? Where. I think I think the Jazz won, or maybe the Kings held on. I don't know. I haven't been paying any attention. To I, 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 I haven't like I you know I promised that I would do that in the air because I know the I know the listening base here is uh, extremely uh, keen on what's going on in Sacramento, but um, but they're uh, I mean they're you know if the season ended now they would they'd be one of the play-in teams. So you know I will I'll be happy with that. The Sacramento Kings are currently – let me pull up the standings. The Sacramento Kings are currently 20-18, and 18, and they are in the fifth spot in the West. Oh, okay. Um, five and a half back of Denver. That's respectable. Yeah, wow. The Clippers are 21-20. and 20. Phoenix is 20-20. 20 20. They're having yeah. some – they're having issues. Yeah. Um, the Timberwolves are 19 and 21. Um, that's not going great, especially after you traded all your future first round picks for Rudy Gobert. So that's not, uh, that's not looking great. No. Um, so, and then just to look at the East real quick before, you know, before we wrap this up, the Celtics are a game and a half up on the Brooklyn Nets. They're 28 and 12. Brooklyn's 26 and 13. I believe they just tipped off against Miami. So, you know, maybe the Miami Heat can pull through for us and, yep. you know, pick up a win. Um, Milwaukee, 25 and 14. They're two and a half back. So, creating a little bit of separation there. Cavaliers are 25 and 15. They're in the four spot. They're three games back. Um, but Philadelphia, right on their heels at 24 and 15. And then the Knicks hold the sixth spot at 22 and 18. Mm-hmm. And then it's Indiana with the seventh. Well, the Knicks and the Pacers would technically be tied for the sixth spot. Um, both are 22 and 18. I believe the Knicks beat the Pacers earlier in the year. So I think the tiebreaker at this moment would go to them. Um, and they're so, coming in Boston at the end of the month. Yep. It's weird. We haven't played the Knicks 
a whole lot wow. yet. We played them once, and uh, we played Chicago, we played Cleveland, we played like all our games against those two. I think after tomorrow, I think we're actually done with the Bulls. Thank God, because those games just seem like pulling teeth for the Celtics. Uh, <laughs> Miami, they're playing right now, twenty-one and nineteen. They're at the eight seed. Chicago's nineteen and twenty-one. They're at the nine seed, and then the ten seed is the Atlanta Hawks at eighteen and twenty-one. Wow. And I mean, again, it's not like you're exactly lining up to play, you know, Trey Young and Dejounte Murray in a playoff series. Um, even given, you know, kind of just the problems that they've had. But the East is good, man. The East is tough. Um, notice out, out West, I didn't mention the Lakers. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and they, uh, they, they close off January uh, coming in yeah. right after the Knicks. Yeah. So and then you get the uh, again, then you get the Bakers. And- I'm sure. I'm sure that um, LeBron will appreciate the the Boston faithful letting him hear, <laughs> especially yeah. after his comments this summer, where he basically said that he hates the Celtics because we're all we're all a bunch of racists. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's back on that again. But some of his comments lately have just been just been so weird to me about just you know Palinka and that team. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I you can admire him, and you know for how great he is and how great he's been. But just from that standpoint, and his standpoint of always wanting to have control over every team, I just he never seemed like someone that I was, you know, going to go running to line to have on my team, given how great he's been. Yeah, and I, I you know, as far as some of the things he's saying now, I. Uh, in, until the last couple of years, and maybe not even that long, he, uh, you know, he had a lot of socially related comments, but they were thoughtful, and uh, they seemed to come from a from a really good, concerned. Um, I mean, all all the things that the NBA likes touting equity and and all of those good things, they seem to be um, uh, personified by a lot of the stuff that that LeBron did off the court. Now he just seems to be, he seems to be losing his focus a little bit. Maybe, uh, maybe playing for the Lakers is making him absolutely crazy. And he's finally regretting, uh, you know, another one of his decisions to take his talents, not to South beach, but you know, he's taking them to Los Angeles and it's not working too, too, too well for him. Kind of tarnishes his, uh, his, his legacy in, in a way. Yeah. And you look at, team that the Cavs have been able to put around or the team that Cleveland's been able to build now. And, you know, obviously yeah. things are totally different if it stays there, but it's just kind of like how they've been able to recover and just how, you know, the only team that he really never had his hands on were, was when he was with Miami because Pat Riley and those guys, that's not how they, you know, they operated. So that's their team. And that's when he was most successful. I mean, yeah, he was going to the finals in Cleveland every year, but he wasn't, you know, he won, he went, what, one for four, one for three. Um, So I don't know. It's just, he's great. He's still playing at a high level. I think he just turned 38. He's going to break the, you know, the all-time scoring record. He, you know, arguably could go down as the greatest player of all time. Yeah. Um, Just for whatever, you know, I, I admire him from afar, but he's not someone that I would ever just rush to, you know, throw on my team. I just feel like, you know, he gets there and it's great, but you know, the shelf life on that is short. And when he leaves, you just kind of 
are stuck in, you know, in NBA hell because that's where the Lakers are going to be for a while now. Yes. Not not to our demise, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, the way, <laughs> the way Cleveland did that rebuild was was uh, was a really pretty thing, and you know, when 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 he left, I uh, you know, I felt immediately bad for him because they went through a whole number of. Of, of long periods of time of being a pretty crappy team, and then they were, and then he, then he, then he jumped. But yep. they it didn't take them, as I'm remembering, it didn't take them too long to rebuild, and they didn't do it by, um, you know, spending arms and legs on, uh, uh, you know, the most, the shiniest prize out there. It's, um, and they're they're a good, they're they're a real fun team to watch. Yeah, they're young. They're gonna they're gonna be around for a while. Yeah. So for our first guest here on Title Town, I figured with the Celtics and Nets matchup coming up on Thursday night, we should at least get the perspective of kind of, you know, the hot streak the Nets have been on. Why not get it from a Nets fan? And uh, Joey, I'm going to give you sort of a badge of honor. You're the only authentic Nets fan I know. I remember you were repping the Nets beanie or the Nets winter hat back when they were rocking the 20 and 62 season. So, yeah, you know, yeah, I got to put the ball in your court here. The Nets, you have been a legitimate fan. I'm not sure we could say the same for others, but, you know, my hats <laughs> off to you. Uh, you should be enjoying this ride. Um, we'll take it back to November 1st when Steve Nash was fired. And, you know, I feel like at least in my opinion, it was sort of a mutual thing. Is that kind of the the feeling you got with the whole thing yeah so i mean first of all thank you for having me on on title town i'm i'm honored and did you say i'm the first guest first guest oh so like i've got a lot of weight to carry here yeah this is, you, this, you know this is big yeah big moments we had to bring out the we had to bring out the big guns here the big guns okay so i mean but yeah i think um when when steve nash got fired i think it was almost a little bit of a, a sigh of relief from i think probably the fan base as a whole because it just it obviously it it wasn't working um nothing seemed to be clicking it didn't seem that the players were really responding um and nothing was gelling and when you don't see any cohesion within a team and you don't see any you know formula for success and it's just it kind of looked like guesswork at times about like okay let's just throw these guys out here and see if they can form something I mean, you got to do that in practice. You have to do that when it comes to, uh, you know, preseason and working things out. And, and I get it, you know, like there was the whole turmoil during the offseason. You didn't know who was going to be on the team. You didn't know what the heck the team was going to look like. But then when, when, when everything worked out, I mean, you got to plan accordingly. And when you have Kevin Durant, when you have Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, like actually healthy, and then you have, you know, your role players, you know, round out your starting five with Royce O'Neal and, and Nick Claxton. And then you have your, you know, a pretty nice bench. You have to find a way. And they just weren't doing that. So then when Steve Nash got fired um, and then Jock Vaughn came on, um, it, it just seemed like the players responded. And I think that was the most refreshing thing was you have Jock Vaughn, who is, in my opinion, I mean, he's got to be one of the most energetic, positive coaches um, there is. And I don't think that's fake. I think that's real. Um, Cause if it was, you can't bring that 
same energy every day like he does. Like if you just watch, you know, I, I encourage people, you know, to just watch a press conference, like watch, watch Jacques Vaughn get interviewed, like either after a game or before a game um, or anything. He's positive. He's energetic. He's always talking about just different things going on within the team. Um, and I think he brought that spirit and, and the players kind of finally bought in. You know, Durant talked in the offseason about how he wants to be coached. He wants to be coached hard. He wants to be told, like, when he's doing something wrong. Um, and I think Jacques Vaughn does that. I don't think he has a problem doing it either. I mean, there were moments, there's been moments since he's been a coach where he, he benched Kyrie at times, you know. I don't think he's ever benched Durant, but I, Durant pretty much, you know, even though he's, you know, a really, really great player, um, he still follows the system. He still, you know, goes through different things. He's smart enough to realize, like, he can't do it all by himself. Um, and I think that's what a true star player is all about. Um, right. And so, but, but yeah, I think, I think the shock, I think Steve Nash getting fired, it really lit a uh, fire under the team. And um, obviously they've been on uh, a real, a really great run. Um, it's unfortunate that KD got hurt. Um, but I still think this, this team is different than last year when KD got hurt. Um, I, I think they can really sustain. Um, I uh, obviously, you know, they probably won't win all the games they would have won had they had KD, but um, they've got a, a different, just a different perspective this year. It's a different energy. They seem to have a nice, uh, just, you know, chemistry this year that they, they just never seem to have last year. It just seemed like a bunch of individuals last year and even the start of this year too. So it's really good. Yeah. And, you know, I, when it comes to Jock Vaughn, I think he's a guy who probably should be right at the top of the leaderboard when it comes to coach of the year. Um, I know for the Celtics, there's many people who, will clamor for Joe Missoula and rightfully so he did get thrusted into this role at an inopportune time and really under an inopportune circumstance. But I think when you look at where the nets were in the, in the start of the year, they started off two and five and they just looked like they were playing uninspired. They were just kind of going through the motions. If they won a game, then, you know, it was really, it seemed like there were no difference for them if they won or lost games. And I feel like on top of the energy that he brings game in and game out, I almost feel like too, that I do believe the Ime Udoka stuff was real. I don't think that that yeah, was, was, I don't think that that was just, you know, smoke that was put out there by two of the most reliable journalists. Um, and I do think for one way or another, I do think the Kyrie stuff that, you know, we won't get into here, but I do think that possibly played a role in them going away from Udoka. But I also feel like when Jacques Vaughn was announced as the head coach and they lifted that interim tag, I think there was sort of a sentiment from maybe not Nets fans, but from the rest of the NBA that this was kind of it and that the Nets were going to maybe go back into that rebuilding stage or they were going to offload Durant or Kyrie and it was kind of them waving the white flag. But to their credit, they've really um, responded to him. They played for him and, the offense, we knew the offensive firepower was there. Anytime you have Durant and Kyrie on your team, you know, that that's enough said. But the defensive end is where they've really excelled. Um, to see them commit to that end of the floor, um, ensure the personnel is better with, you know, guys like Royce O'Neal, Ben Simmons. Nick Claxton's taken a huge step in his development this season. But I think overall, if the season were to end today, you'd look at Jock Vaughn and say he's probably far and away the coach of the year, the way he was able to, turn what was just a shitstorm of 
an environment and turn this team into the second best team in the league. And you could even make the argument when healthy there right there with, with the Celtics, with the nuggets. Um, you mentioned Durant earlier and he's out and yeah, I mean, I find it super unfortunate because I am a Kevin Durant fan and yeah. I just wanted to see these two teams play fully healthy with, <laughs> you know, see how they stack up. And it just seems like for whatever reason, we'll never get there. Um, you said the Nets are in better position this time around to sustain or to take the blow of not having Kevin Durant and survive Kyrie being available to play full time rather than just part time is a huge reason. Um, what other guys do you think will probably step up and take on just the burden that Durant's going to be leaving? Yeah. So, I mean, I actually think the, the guy who, I mean, they didn't know what they would have at the start, but the, the guy who I think will actually play one of the biggest parts and not necessarily filling like the position or the minutes of, of Durant, but potentially some of that scoring um, and the shot creation is probably actually TJ Warren. Um, that's somebody who I think is going to be really, really crucial um, to creating his own shot. Um, not a lot of people think of him this way. Um, I think they more think of him as a shooter. But Seth Curry can also kind of make his own shot a little bit. Um, but I, I really think this is there's two people who are who are very important in terms of making this all work without Durant. One is Ben Simmons and probably putting him consistently at, at the four um, or the five, depending on like what the rotations are like. Um, but keeping him just just leave him in the paint, you know, let him distribute. But from within the paint, dump it in kick it out, put different shooters around them, whether it be Seth Curry, Joe Harris, um, Royce O'Neal can shoot it. You know, he's a little streaky, but Royce can shoot it. Um, obviously, you have Kyrie out there. Um, but then the other person who I think is going to be really important, um, and this is – I'll start on the defensive end first. You know, KD's also been a really good rim protector for the Nets yeah. this year. Um, but it just puts more and more emphasis for Nick Claxton to be a really good defensive presence like he's been to start this year. Um, and he's going to have even more weight to carry. Um, but I think he's capable of doing that. Um, he said, I can't remember what game it was after, but he said after one game, uh, you know, I think uh, I should be in consideration for defensive player of the year. Now I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but I mean, good for him. He has the confidence, right? Um, but if you look at his numbers, like his statistics, like he's a very good defensive presence for for the nets and he's definitely he's certainly one of the leaders in the nba um so i think the two the two guys who need to step up the most um are ben simmons and and nick claxton if you want to go deeper down the bench um guys like yuta wantanabe um he's gonna have to you know shooter. play a bigger role shoot yuta the shooter um i think he's gonna have to play play a role um Joe Harris is going to have to step up a little bit more. Um, I'm just not convinced he's healthy. I just really am not. I, um, I, I, and, and maybe he is healthy, but it's just taking him even longer to get into rhythm. The one thing I will say, and this is like really important because I know you, you and I have joked in the past about like you despise Joe Harris. Like, you know, he's just the bane of your existence. The shit out of me, man. He's yeah. So, I, I think, you know, for people who aren't familiar with Joe Harris, one thing that I think is a, a very, I think has been a, a under, under 
oft-sold story of his latest, you know, couple of years with the Nets. Obviously, last year he was hurt, but this year he's playing a role he's never played before. He was, you know, a couple of years ago, like before KD came in, before Kai came in, like Joe Harris was a starter. Like he was a key component of the Nets offense. And now he's he's a he's a role player. Like he's he's a guy who comes off the bench. He doesn't even start. Um, so that that's something that I think he's still kind of transitioning into. Seth Curry, I think, is dealing with the same issue to a certain extent. But the difference between like Seth Curry and Joe Harris is Seth Curry can create his own shot a little bit better than, than Joe Harris can. Um, and I, I trust me, I mean, if if any Nets fans are listening or if anybody who watches the Nets a lot. You know, every time Joe Harris drives to the basket, I'm like, no, no, like you're going to get blocked. And he does every single time. Like he, he can't like it's very rare that he he actually can finish around the basket. He just doesn't have the size, you know, yeah. um, that's not that's not his game. You know, we don't need him to be dribbling to the basket and, and trying to be a shot creator around the rim. You know, let somebody else do that. Um, but if you want to go a little uh, even a little bit deeper down the bench, the guy who I would love to see get some minutes because I think he is just somebody who the nets have too many different players right now but the guy who i would love to see get some minutes is cam thomas um great shooter um shooter yeah i, I shouldn't say great shooter great shot creator you know okay. find find his way to the basket the problem is the defensive side of things that's where i think his downfall is that's why i don't think jock Vaughn plays him that much i just don't think he trusts him on the defensive end um so this year though kind of getting back to my point in general with Royce O'Neal in that lineup with Ben Simmons in that lineup uh, you take KD out it'll be interesting to see what their rotations are like and what the the non-Kyrie minutes are like I think that'll be the most interesting thing of how Jacques Vaughn handles that because um, I'm sorry like you know yeah you could ride Kyrie and you know play him a lot but I just don't I just don't think it's a really great idea to, you know, be overplaying him. It's just not worth it. And if you look at the stretch the Nets have coming up, they have nine games over the next two weeks. You can't be playing guys no. um, you know, a lot of minutes. You need to distribute those minutes evenly. And that's why more than anything else, a Cam Thomas is is really important. And the other guy, he's had a very quiet start to the year, but you know, Krabby Patty. Get Patty Mills in there a little bit. Um, he, you know, he can, he can play on the defensive end. He can mix it up. He's very small, but he can mix it up on the defensive end. I love seeing his little hard hat celebration when he takes a charge. I think, I think everybody on opposing teams that probably drives nuts, but it's pretty funny when he gets pumped up for that type of stuff. Um, so, but to be honest, I think the one guy who they, they might actually miss in this scenario is Blake Griffin. You know, that oh, I love Blake. <laughs> that would be the guy who I think the Nets would rely on a little bit more with Katie out. Um, but, you know, obviously he is with the Celtics now. So I still think the matchup on Thursday with the Nets and the Celtics should be good. Um, I would I would have liked to have seen uh, maybe the Nets play one game without KD before they played the Celtics just to see kind of what, like, if they could get a rhythm and what the rotations would look like. But, hey, it's the NBA, go out there, toss the ball up, and, you know, <laughs> go, go try and score. Yes, yeah. you know. Worry, worry about defense, but, you know, it's the NBA. Go try and score. And, I mean, it's still going to be a really good game, I think. I mean, the Nets have guys who this year, I believe, you know, have a little bit more heart and a little bit more pride than last season. Um, dude, you should see Blake Griffin. He's really enjoying his time in Boston yeah. from what I can see. When um, I'm, I'm sure he is. I mean, he fits in pretty well with that team, too. Like, he knows his role. 
Um, so I, I think, I think that's nice. When, when I was at, you know, the, some of the games I've gone to, I've only seen him play, I think once or twice, cause they only, you know, on, on thumb from the chamber every so often, but I, this person behind me who I guess they, they must live right in the city, but they were talking about how, like, I think it was one of Blake's first weeks in Boston after he signed and they went to some nightclub or whatever. And Blake was there. And I guess Blake was just standing up against the wall, holding it up. And he was just, he was feeling it. So hey man, Blake, Blake's enjoying, uh, Blake's enjoying himself a little bit. And, um, I think him just knowing his role. I mean, look, I'm not going to be the guy that says that he's going to make or break their season or that he's no, no be no. some big X factor. But I did like the idea of having, you know, useful players on the end of the bench instead of guys who were just sort of there to celebrate. Um, when it when it comes to this team, um, they're very capable of going and winning the finals. Um, it wouldn't. I know when we did our preseason predictions or whatever, um, my co-host and I both said that we wouldn't be shocked if we were sitting a year from when we recorded that saying the Nets, they're the defending Eastern Conference champs or they're the defending NBA finals champs. Um, from what I've seen of them, I know. I would like that. I would like if that comes into existence. You finally, yeah, finally catch a break with this team. You had hard. Yes. Um, the and we were texting about this yesterday and I said, the biggest issue I see with the nets is their ability to handle teams when teams get, you know, physical with them. There's the Chicago game. Um, and Miami yeah. does it to everybody, but right. Miami was very physical with them. I know Bam had his kind of had his way inside. That being said, I feel like that is going to be potentially the downfall of, of this team because offensively they're about as sacked and about as deep as you could ask and defensively I think they're playing enough on defense to where you know there's still guys you can attack but there's guys that are so committed now that just like I look at Kyrie last year in the playoffs not that you want to revisit this but the Celtics were going at Kyrie and they were just having their way and I and it wasn't just Kyrie there were other guys out there no they were very aggressive against everybody yeah but it just Kate, Kate, like, KD too. Yeah. Um, it just didn't seem like the Nets could ever get stops when they needed to. Now it doesn't seem that way. I feel like the physicality and maybe the inability for them to out rebound or hold their own inside against bigs like maybe Joel Embiid and Bam out of bio might be the downfall. But I mean shit, that could also be the downfall for any other team that's in contention in the East. Yeah. If, you were sitting here today and you had to pick, you know, what potentially would lead this team to not get to the, you know, the finals or whatnot, you know, would you kind of go to, to that area as well? Yeah. So, I mean, well, first I would say health, like right. that, like, cause that's what it's been yeah. in past years. Um, I wouldn't really use that as an excuse for last year. I just think last year um, the Celtics played really well against them. Um but this year, so if I had to try and like pinpoint what would be like the quote unquote kryptonite for the Nets, yeah, size would be a factor. I mean, I'll be completely honest with you though. Like when you texted me that last night, I was kind of like, I don't think they've been that bad, you know, in terms of physicality this year. Yeah. Um, I think, but I, I got to tell you, like, I think one of the things with the Nets is 
they just try not to get killed at the three-point line because that's been one of the things that's killed them in the past. And, um, you know, if you look at – if you just let's just use the, the Heat game last night as an example. And, you know, you don't have to watch the game to know, you know, you don't want to leave Tyler Hero wide open, right? right. And, and they, they were more playing to not let that happen and not let, you know, guys at the three-point line kind of hang out around there. I, I just think they cared less about Bam kind of doing his thing on the inside rather than giving up those outside shots. Um, but I will say this, you know, if the Nets aren't able to add, you know, some other type of big, um, you know, last year they added Drummond, which I, at the time I thought was great. And then it's like you see him. You, you look at his stats and you 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 kind of watch him play and you're like, oh, yeah, that's the guy I want on my team. And then he's actually on your team and he's like, okay, get this guy off my team. Like he like he gets eaten up like it's 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 weird. It's it's very weird because and I think maybe it's maybe it was I watched games where Drummond played against the Nets and because of Drummond's size, he tore up the Nets. Right. But then when Drummond went up against, you know, other teams who um you know had bigs who could kind of counter him it was kind of like oh he's not that great it was just the net sucked when like (laughs) drummond went up against him we went up against them so you know but this year i mean i don't know i i haven't i haven't looked hard enough to to know you know okay who's the who, who could be on that you know weird free agent market um who could be uh not the free agent market the uh what am i trying to say buyout the buyout thank you i've been looking um, to i i don't really you know, know i don't know if anybody really sticks out the one thing okay so let me throw out this would be great this will be a great hot take for the podcast okay i'll bring <laughs> this i'll bring this to the table here okay so during the off season what was one of the rumors that went around with one of the key big guys in the league it was deandre Ayton, right mm-hmm. what if this stuff like that starts to resurface all of a sudden you know what team could really use another big right it would be the Nets. You know, that would be one of that would be not they wouldn't be the only team, no. but that would be one of the teams. Would they potentially ever entertain something like that? That would be wild. But even even adding him, I don't know if that's necessarily what the Nets need. I just think they need somebody who can come in, you know, give Claxton a break, give Duran a break, clog up the paint a little bit. Um the problem is on the offensive side of things. Like it you want that perfect guy, right? The guy who can be a rim protector, can play defense, but can also, you know, play a little bit of offense, and not clog things up. You can't have Claxton and some other guy who can't shoot on the floor at the same time. You can't have, well, I mean, kind of already see it with Ben Simmons and, and Claxton anyways, but I'll tell you, I mean, that, that somehow it works, you know, if they get enough ball rotation going on and they even have three shooters, but I'll tell you, it only probably works when they have Durant and Irving on the floor. Cause then you really have to concentrate, take Durant off. And then you can really lock in on Irving. Um, they, I mean, they do the same thing they've done in the past. Uh, ben Simmons doesn't get guarded until he probably gets past the foul line. Now it's, <laughs> it used to be like, you know, kind of pick him up when he gets to the foul line. Now they're not picking him up until he gets to the paint. I will say though, he's starting to develop this weird float. It's ugly as hell. Is it a turnaround? Like, it's not like a sky hook, but it's like that turn. No, it, it's like, he like he turns around and he flicks it. He like he kind of just like lets it go off the wrist. I saw you know, one. I saw it last it's very, night. It's very strange. He caught the ball. I think he set a screen and he was rolling to the hoop. And I don't know who it was that passed it to him, but I think there was him and there was one other person maybe just outside the restricted area. 
<laughs> dribbles it, picks it up. Looks like he's gonna go up. You can see him kind of hesitate, and then yeah. after he hesitates, he finally went up with it. Um, yeah, not great. I think he's been fine. I think. Like, oh, I, I, I don't have any, I don't have any complaints about Ben Simmons. To be completely honest, I, I think mean, he, I, he, he is what he is. I think the only complaint that you'd have is just the money he's making. But then again, you, well, you know, yeah. the time and place of when the contract was given, he was looked at yeah. as maybe this guy who was top 10 and could potentially get into the yeah know, the top five. But I think overall, I think, I think he'll still, I think he's still improving though. I think he's going to get better and better with time. I mean, it's just very painful to watch like him and, and Nick Claxton for that matter. You know, they're not going to drive too much because they don't want to go to the free throw line. Right. I, I shouldn't say that about Claxton. Claxton doesn't really he's care. Like, if, he's an improved. You know, Clax- and I mean, I think he's, uh, I'm pretty sure he's the guy who's shooting like he's still shooting like 75% like from the field. Like that's crazy. I mean, so yeah. like he, he's making the shots he needs to make. And um, I think the biggest thing with Claxton is he needs a little bit more discipline on the defensive end. Um, but as, as a whole, you know, okay, let, let's throw Durant back into the mix. The reason this team is having success like they are gets back to what you were saying. They've bought in on the defensive end. Okay. That's, that's the main thing. The defense has led to good offense. The other night when they were playing the Pelicans, right? Uh, they went cold on offense. What won them the game? Defense defense won them the game because they were actually playing defense. Uh, Flashback to last year. Okay. That same type of game. They lose because they're not committed to defense. Steve Nash would be calling a timeout when they give up like a 10-0 run. He'd be clapping his hands and (laughs) high-fiving people and all that good stuff he was good for, okay? And and it it would be infuriating because it was like, you know, okay, you have to realize that you have to play defense too. And they just weren't doing that. Now Jacques Vani's kind of gotten them to buy into defense. There was a thing that I get, it it came out maybe a week or so ago, more like two weeks ago, I think at this point. But after one of the games, um, Jacques was asked about uh, the defensive side of things. And then some of the players were asked about it. And some of the players said, I guess like it must've been like maybe a week or so after Jacques had been named like the actual head coach, he showed, the stats of like what the box out percentage and or like what the box out rate was from all the players. And it was like, it was alarming. And, and that kind of allowed them to, you know, buy in a little bit. And um, I think that was a big thing, you know, he's calling guys on the carpet and he doesn't care. He doesn't care. I mean, and think about it, think about what Jacques Bond has been through, right? Okay. Not a lot of people remember this, but he was the coach of the bubble nets. Okay. And and that was hilarious. Like that team had no business being in there whatsoever, <laughs> and 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 he had them competing. Yep, he had them playing, and now he's got all the tools in the world, and he's still the same guy. He hasn't changed who he is. I think Steve Nash, especially after this past offseason, he just wanted to be buddy buddy with everybody. Yeah, and that and that, I'm sorry, that doesn't work. Um, looking back at it, when the whole Ime Adoka thing happened um it would have been interesting if he was the coach um but that my god that there would have been so much toxicity with the nets of that but the public perception would have been terrible yeah um and i think that was thing but one of the things that you had said before i don't think i hit upon it when jock vaughn got hired that was kind of one of those things where it was like okay this might not be the sexy pick for a coach but we know this guy could work. 
And we know this guy can basically, I mean, what if, what if, as a Nets fan, what have I said in the past? They need a guy who like demands respect, demands like effort. That's Jacques Vaughn. Yep. And people forget he was a, he's, he's one of the disciples of Greg Popovich. Mm. Not a lot, not a lot of people remember that. Okay. Look at the different coaches who have worked with Greg Popovich in the past, right? They've all or or played for Greg Popovich. They've all had success, okay? Because it all stems from, you know, own a room, demand respect, get respect, have your players give a hundred percent effort. And there are times if you're a Nets fan or if you watch Nets games, Jacques Vaughn will call a timeout like two possessions in the game. He doesn't care. Like mm-hmm. he will correct things, and I think that's hilarious. That's straight player, out of Popovich playbook too. Yeah, I mean, if, if you see something that's wrong, call a timeout and correct it. That's what the timeouts are for. It doesn't matter when you use it. What are you saving the timeout for? You're gonna let the, you're gonna let the same mistakes happen five possessions in a row before you're gonna All call right. a timeout. That's All what right. Steve Nash did. Then he would clap hands with everybody. Sometimes he would just clap his own hands. Like he would, it'd be awful. It'd be awful. But you know, looking at the game on Thursday though, should be interesting. Um, I think the Celtics will probably win, but um, I think the Nets will put up a fight. I just think the reason I say that more so than anything else is I, I, I mean, let's face it. You take Kevin Durant out of a lineup. It's going to be an adjustment period. Right. It's going to, it's going to take a while, right. but I think in the long run, the nets will be okay. Just very unfortunate. They're running into a, a buzzsaw, I think against, against the Celtics. And, and I mean, let's face it, you know, the Celtics are going to play up against the nets because the rumors for the past, what couple of weeks have been, Oh, the nets are starting to catch up to everybody, blah, 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 blah. Boston's going to come in and they're going to want to establish that, you know, like, okay, we're, you know, we're still, we're still the team to beat. Um, I'll tell you though. I mean, if the, it's, it's, it's just one game, but it'd be vivid. if the Nets win without Durant, I'm sure you Celtics fans are going to be a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it'll be, I mean, like I said, it's just one game though. Right. But you're, you're certainly not going to be feeling good about your team. No, no. And you know, I haven't really cared for the way that they've played, the Celtics I'm I'm talking. They haven't really I haven't cared for the way that they played lately. Um against Chicago tonight, they're more, you know, getting back to the style that they're playing. They're getting more looks at the rim. Um the defensive end has improved for them since the beginning of the year, which I'm happy to see because that's kind of what this team's calling card is. I know they were leaning into the offense and you know, it just wasn't really sustainable. But um, you know, the one thing that does make me nervous for for Thursday night is Celtics, the last, you know, outside of game one last year in the playoffs, I mean, they've held Kyrie down and I feel like he's kind of due for one. Kyrie's been been playing pretty well of late, but I think, you know, from a Celtics perspective, obviously if you shut him down, then, and I think you should be okay. The, the, the main thing is KD or no KD, the X factor. Okay. I know you asked me about these X factors before. But like the the true X factor of I because I was more talking about like who needs to step up with in, in Durant's absence, the true X factor of the Nets is Royce O'Neal. Yep, and that was as clear as day against the Chicago Bulls. Okay, Royce O'Neal had the the Nets really didn't have any business being in their game against Chicago recently. But here's the thing: Royce O'Neal went. It was either. He went over. He was over nine from the field, and it was either oh, it was either over eight from three and over nine from the field, or it was over nine for the field, and then he might add some free throws or something. He had his worst game of the season. Had he made a quarter of his shots, the Nets win the game, right? That's that's where you like pinpoint and you point and you say, 
okay, that's a guy who's an X factor. Why? Because he's open. He's there getting him the ball and he's shooting. Right. And I get it, you know, have some confidence, you know, take a shot, but I'm sorry, when you miss like five threes in a row, stop shooting. Pump fake, drive to the basket, get yourself to the foul line, get yourself reset, shoot some, shoot some free throws. Um, just different things like that. But I'll tell you, like the X factor for the Nets is is Royce O'Neal. He is the he is that guy who can turn the tide of a game. Um, he hits a couple threes. Um, you know, he, he you know he's a good defensive player too. He's a, I wouldn't call him necessarily a three and D guy, although I think some people probably give him that reputation. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he fits in that category. But I personally, like, I, I've watched him obviously a lot this year. I actually watched him a lot when he was on the when he was on the uh, Jazz as well, because like I. Anytime I would do like a daily fantasy lineup or something, like he would always be like, because you'd be cheap. And like, yeah. I would watch him and he'd have good games. Like yeah. he can distribute, he can distribute the ball. He can rebound. He can score a little bit. He can do a little bit of everything. Um, so I, I, I think that at the end of the day, I think that's one of the biggest difference makers for the Nets. Um, and, and then from there, it, it really, I mean, obviously it's, you know, when healthy, uh, the offense runs through KD and Kyrie. Um, and then if you can get your 10 to 12 points from Claxton, you haven't played good defense. Um, if you can have, you know, the combination of whoever, whoever it might be, you know, I don't really, if Ben Simmons can, you're not, you're not really looking for Ben Simmons to score at all. Like if he scores, it's great, but like, that's not really what you're looking for. You, you really more so need the, the points now from, you want to see TJ Warren with like 10 points. You want to see Seth Curry with a couple threes. You want to see him creating, creating some shots a little bit, you know, Joe Harris, you know, he's going to get a couple shots at least a game. You want to see him knock down a couple. You want to see him finish with like 10 points, 10 points a game. Those are the guys who you really need to see step up a little bit. Um, Cause you know, Kyrie's going to get his, you know, uh, when healthy Durant's going to get his. And then after that, it's kind of, okay, who wants to step to the plate? Who else wants to contribute? Um, if they run the offense the way they have in the past, I think um, based on what I think the rotations will look like now, I think you'll see Claxton start scoring a little bit more. Um, you'll probably actually see his shooting percentage go down a little bit right. just based on like, I think he's okay. just going to get more shots and it's not like he's going to make all of them. Um, but the most interesting thing is what's going to happen with Ben Simmons. You know, I think that's out of all the questions, right? I think that's the most interesting thing. Okay. Do they switch how they use utilize Ben Simmons now? Or do they keep things the same? What do they do there? I think that's the biggest question. And it might change from game to game too, but that's the biggest question mark um, depending on the matchup. So it's a great tool for them to have though. It's a great tool. You know, he can distribute, he can, you know, he can mix it up in the post a little bit. They haven't had that. Uh, and real, I mean, let's face it though, too. Not a lot of teams have that. Nope. Um, you know, obviously, obviously the, the nuggets have, you know, Jokic who he's, he's just different. Um <laughs> But, you know, not a lot of teams have that guy who can play in the post and and distribute. Um, and uh, Ben Simmons can, if he wants to be, can be one of those guys. I'm not saying, now, please, nobody think that I'm calling Ben Simmons Nikola Jokic. Okay? That's, not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying in general, those tendencies, um, that should be interesting. So my prediction, okay, so my prediction is the Celtics win, though, on Thursday. Okay. I'm thinking it would be like a 10-point win for them. Um, but my hot take is Joe Harris comes to life and absolutely like makes you go crazy. I fucking hope not. <laughs> I'm calling it. He's going to go on a heater. He's going to drop like, you know, five threes in a row, and you're going to text me, and you're going to be all upset, and I'm going to say, yep, I called it. 
Joe Harris. They should have traded him for come. He's coming out for you, Matt. Yeah, he. I don't know. He's he's terrifying because when he sees it go in, yeah, however, often or not. You so can't often, you can't even tweet. You can't yeah. even tweet at Joe Harris. He's too cool. He doesn't have a Twitter. I know. Twitter Twitterless Joe. You know what's funny? On opening night, when I went to the Celtics and Sixers, I mean, this is totally off topic, but um, James Harden was pretty brutal. And I'm sure he's, you know, one of the other people you don't really want to hear about. But um, I he just like Jim Harden to me anymore. He is James. Only James. <laughs> he has lost the title of Jim Harden. <laughs> I, I live tweeted him the entire game. That's funny. Basically <laughs> telling him that, you know, he wasn't great. And uh, he, he ended up blocking me on Twitter. Oh, good for you. Yeah, I have him. I have Draymond Green from the finals. Um, And then, like, I had Draymond Green's mother also blocked me, too. Draymond Green's mom? During the finals, um, she she came out after one of the games and said that, like, oh, my son's playing like shit, or, like, I don't know who, like, captured my son and whatever. I don't don't know exactly. But – um, and then every game after that, where he was just equally as bad, I basically had just commented or tweeted at her and told her that he had more, you know, he had racked up more, more fouls and he had complete points and that he was kind of a, a detriment to the warriors and whatnot. Didn't cross the line. I did not cross the line. I don't, oh, I, I, don't, don't, I, don't I don't believe in that for the people listening. Um, but um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was an interesting experience. And uh, so, yeah, I have Harden, I have Draymond Green, and I have um, his mother also um, on the block list, which is, I don't know if it's an achievement or not. But... You troll. You're a troll. Yeah, I can be I can be rational, though. Big time troll. <laughs> well, Joey, thank you for um, carving out some time to just kind of give your, uh, your outlook on the, the beloved Brooklyn Nets. Um, yes, my beloved Nets. Like I said, I, just, I, I was so committed and excited to come on to this. I got home and I haven't even eaten yet. I haven't, e- I haven't eaten in like eight hours, which some people be like, well, geez, you can't make it eight hours. I, I'm, I'm hungry. Yeah, right now. Screw that. I'm starving. <laughs> yeah. I've got, uh, I've got some uh, spaghetti in the fridge from last night. Oh, Sunday dinner leftover action. Right. So. There you know, go. you know, with the Italian, with the Italians, you get the, you oh, have the Sunday yeah. dinner, and then, and then you just eat everything again the next night. Are you? And then it's just, an, and then it's just another night of indigestion, or as we <laughs> call it, or as we call it, agita. <laughs> are Are you like a more of a garlic bread or a garlic knot person? Oh, uh, garlic bread for sure. Okay, I mean they may be Gar- the same thing, but I don't. No, no, no. Garlic, either. garlic, but garlic bread's different, and you can if you throw a little cheese on there, then it's then it's really really good. So that's that's important. Garlic knots, in my opinion, are good, but like when I bite into it, like I don't want to feel like I'm biting into like a soggy, like greasy. At least, <laughs> at least, don't give me the optic of, you know, I'm a sloppy pig eating, you know, a, a nice greasy, you know, garlic knot. Just give me the garlic bread. Let it be a little dry, you know, some garlic on there. You know, that's that's what I want. That's what I want to have. But you got to throw a little cheese on there. This is excellent insight, Joey. Thank well, you. I'm trying. I'm trying here. I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> let's let's get you some food critics on here too. Okay, you know, start hashtagging it. You know, I want you to somehow throw garlic bread analysis into the title of this one. Okay, <laughs> so people have no idea what you're talking about until the end. The intrigue will certainly be there. 
oh, dude, start it off with garlic bread, okay? And then everybody be like, what is this episode about? And they won't know until the very end. It's a good marketing uh, marketing, uh, yeah. suggestion. You got Guy Fieri on there. Oh, yeah. Guy Fieri. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The one and only. Oh, man, Joey. That can be, thank so you. That can be your next guest. I've started it off with... I've started off with myself, and then Guy Fieri will be next. So it'll be I'm good. Sure he's he's chomping at the bit to get on. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. After we talk about garlic bread, he's going to want to come on and like give some hot takes about how garlic knots are good and how I'm an idiot for saying garlic bread's better than garlic knots. You might be hitting on something there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Okay. Well, I thank you for having me on, though, Matt. This was fun. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Uh, you won't find objectivity like this from every Nets fan. So you know, <laughs> it's it's great, greatly appreciated. You're welcome. I'll talk to you soon, Matt. Sounds good, man. Good luck Thursday night. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for the episode. Big thank you to Steve and Joey just for taking some time to sit down and talk hoops. Um, by the time this comes out, the uh, Celtics and Bulls game will have concluded um, and hopefully it will result in another Celtic win. Um, Celtics will be on to New Orleans, um, another big game, another tough opponent for them to play. Um, again, thanks everyone for listening and let's go Celtics.